last special, we listed all these ways for people to tell if they were a redneck or not. And then I come to Texas and people are going, you left a bunch of them out. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do round two for you here. See, see how many people qualify. Uh, what about things like, um, if you've been on television more than five times describing what the tornado sounded like, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If you've ever cut your grass and found a car, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If your dad walks you to school because you're in the same grade, <laughs> you might be a redneck. If every day somebody comes to your door mistakenly thinking you're having a yard sale, you might be a redneck. If you've ever financed a tattoo, three more payments and this slum gun is mine. You might be a redneck. If you've ever made change in the offering plate, guilty. You got him. If you go to the family reunion to meet women, you might be a redneck. I think we offended somebody out here. That ain't funny as it says. And last but not least, if you see a sign that says, say no to crack, and it reminds you to pull your jeans out. You might just be a redneck. Well, good evening. If you search the scriptures for a redneck, you probably would start with the guy who's one of the most prominent characters in the Gospels of early part of the New Testament by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a, uh, well, he was a wilderness guy. I expect he did a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing. Uh, he dressed like a wilderness guy. The Bible talks about how he wore the skin of a camel on his back, and he ate locust and wild honey. You can read all about him in chapter 1 of practically every gospel if you want more information on how to be a biblical redneck. John the Baptist was also chosen by God for a very, very special reason. He was chosen by God to tell people that the Messiah was coming. He uh, was given that position uh, because I believe he was really bold and really loud and really convincing, and I think his message was powerful. And he had a very, very, very limited message we'll say it this way John the Baptist would gather a crowd of people around him and he didn't care if they were up and in the Pharisees the Sadducees the religious leaders or if they were folks just like you and me common folk he would look at them and he would say to them repent you're sorry you're no good you got sin in your life you're guilty and if you don't repent your sins are going to send you away from God. 
to the devil's hell. He didn't preach anything else. But his message was so forceful that even though every time he preached, it was the same sermon, people kept responding. Bible says that there were tons of people that came out of Jerusalem and all around Judea out into the wilderness, which is really in that area a desert, to hear John the Baptist preach, even though they already knew what he was going to say. So how did it get to be that way? Well, before he ever preached his first sermon, John the Baptist spent some time in the wilderness. And he, re- he, he got a very clear vision about what God wanted him to say, about his message. And, and his message, that was his message, repent and be saved. But he kept saying over and over and over again, there is someone coming who's going to change your life. There's someone coming who will absolutely change the world. Speaking about the Messiah, remember the Jews were very interested in the Messiah because they were living in bondage and they thought the Messiah was going to kind of kick some Roman butt and get them out of trouble and change their world. What they didn't realize is that this Messiah was going to change their hearts in their eternity, which was better in the long run. But John the Baptist spent time in the wilderness. He spent time listening to God, no distractions. And his message, his mission, his vision was formed. You ever spend time alone? If you're a a mom, you don't get to, do you? You ever spend time where you just get away from everybody? Some of you like to hunt, some of you like to fish. Unfortunately, I have to golf with people, so I don't get to get alone. But when you get away from the world and you can listen to God and Him only, God begins to plant things in your heart and mind, and that's what John the Baptist did. And he walked away from the wilderness something to say with a word from God, with truth that would pierce the hearts of people. Every once in a while, we kind of fall into our own personal wilderness, don't we? Is that true for you? Life starts to stink. Maybe you're here tonight, and, and, and as you sit in this place, you realize that there's a lot of junk in your life. Maybe you've got a burden bigger than you tonight, a worry that you can't let go of, a a problem that doesn't seem to be solvable, a, a relationship that doesn't seem to be fixable, a heartache, a burden. You kind of feel like you're in the wilderness. You kind of feel like you're alone. It's easy to get there, isn't it? Every once in a while, I'll stop and look back over the course of my life, and I'll say, how could I have been that stupid? You ever said that about yourself? How could I have been that stupid? I'll say it for you. How could, how, how could I have gotten into that situation? How could I have made such a foolish mistake? The wilderness. And until you're ready to open up and listen to what God has to say, 
to you ready to look up and move past that point of wilderness? Do you get a word, a ray of hope from God? You can't move from that place. Kind of interesting, too, that not only did, did John get this uh, vision, he, he got a message. And, and that message was, was formed, and his ability to share what, what God would have him share was formed out of this personal experience, this personal relationship he had with God. You know, the best, the best truth, the most uh, uh, valid truths come from folks who've had personal experience. You know, if, if you ever are uh, a witness in a court, they, they will ask you what you experienced, what you saw, what you knew to happen. And there are a lot of things that we could talk about out of our own personal experience, aren't there? Uh, how many of you here tonight are, are, are Wildcat fans? Anybody? The rest of you, you're not really who you ought to be in God if you're not a Wildcat fan, just to be honest, here in Kentucky. I've been to Rupp Arena a lot. You can ask me about the Rupp Arena experience, and I can tell you what's going to happen there. I, I can tell you everything you need to know about every player on our team this year just because I spend a lot of time worrying about that. Personal experience. I've been to Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse. Anybody been there? We should call this meeting off and go right now. Anybody will front the bill. I mean, it's a lot of money to get a steak there, but when you get a steak there, it's like, man, your, your tongue is fighting your tonsils for a bite of that thing. It's good stuff. And, and I can't even begin to describe, oh, man, Jeff Ruby's a man. I, what else have I done? I've been on a cruise. I've been to Pebble Beach. Anybody ever been to Pebble Beach? It's on the 17-mile road. It's beautiful, isn't it? I got, I got to golf there. And I, and I was so proud of myself. I had a caddy. He kept making fun of me. Fired him along the way. I'll never forget that day. Been hang gliding. Anybody done that? Anybody? And, and, Here's where I went hang gliding. You ever been to Lookout Mountain in Tennessee? You ever driven towards Florida and there have been a million signs that said Sea Rock City, Sea Ruby Falls, Sea Lookout Mountain? You get up on top of Lookout Mountain, they have a hang gliding corporation that operates out of there. It says you can see seven states. Well, when they, I was going to say I jumped off the mountain with a hang glider, actually a guy pushed me. And not only can you see seven states when you're hang gliding, you can see the face of God because you're about to meet him, at least in my opinion. My personal experience advice is don't do it. Just don't do it. When you have been with God, you get a message from him. You, you know what he expects from you. And the fact is, is there are a lot of us who don't spend enough time with God. We don't ever get ourselves in a place where we can hear God and feel God and experience God and sense His Spirit. We stay so busy and discombobulated that, that we never get a message and boldness, truth, and a path from God. 
John the Baptist knew Jesus. He not only knew that he was coming, he not only knew him as a teenager growing up since they were cousins. The Bible tells us there's this great story kind of starts with this angel who came to Mary. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus? Probably 12, 13 years old. Anybody here tonight, 12 or 13? No, you're not. Anyway, she's about that old, and and the angel of the Lord comes to her, and she's a virgin, and she says, the angel says to Mary, you're going to have the child of God. You're going to be pregnant soon. It's going to be God's child. That's big news. Kind of hard to believe. About the same time, there was an older cousin of Mary's by the name of Elizabeth. Her husband was a priest, Zacharias, and the same angel who told Mary at 13 goes to see Elizabeth at 73 or plus and says, you're going to have a child. I don't know which is more dangerous to you. Linda, would you be excited if you found out you were going to be with child? Is that a yes or a no? Yes. It would have been better for this story if you'd said no. (laughs) Anyway, so these two diverse cousins are pregnant, and Mary comes to see Elizabeth. And here's what the Bible says about that encounter, that when when, uh, Mary walks in the door, great with child. I know that it's hard a guy as skinny as me, for you to envision a belly out here like this, right? But Mary comes in, big belly, baby. Elizabeth, she's old, she can't hardly get up. Her belly's over here. And when John the Baptist, in the womb, realizes Jesus in the womb, is in the building. Bible says he starts to jump in his belly, in her belly. Can you imagine that? He sees God's here. He sees Jesus is here. He's excited. He's pumped. How long has it been since you've been excited to be where God was? How long has it been since you've been excited that Jesus has come into the room? Most of us are kind of wary of him coming in the room because we know he knows all about us. But John the Baptist in utero. That's doctor words right there. He's excited. He's jumping around in the belly. He's saying, oh, God's here. Jesus is here. Where'd he go? Let me out of here. I want to talk to him. Can you imagine? He had personal experience from the very beginning with God. Another thing I think is important about his story is John the Baptist knew his role. He knew what he had been called to do. His job and his only job was to let people know that the Messiah was coming. And he he did great. Everywhere he went, he talked about Jesus. He talked about getting ready, repenting, baptizing, saving If I'd have been John the Baptist, you know, because you know, I'm a competitive guy. Anybody else competitive? 
You're thinking, how come I have to be the one that talks about Jesus? Why isn't he talking about me? You know, I'm pretty good. I'm a good preacher. People are getting baptized. You know, this could be about me. But he never felt that way, did he? A lot of times we're not who we should be in God because we almost resent our role. That's not quite the part we wanted to play. It's not as important as we wanted to be. There are a lot of things that, that we'll never be in life. I, I've got a list of things I'll never be to you. I know for sure, know for sure, that I will never be a politician. I, I'm not, I, what's the right word, polished enough. I know this, I'll never be a doctor. You know how I know that? Because the sight of blood makes me squeamish. Needles freak me out. I know I'll never be that. I know that I will never be a driving instructor. (laughs) I know that's not going to happen. Matter of fact, the only time we ever had a driving instructor at our house, Tyler was sitting out there in the car and driving instructor was over here. He was kind of going through the motions. I forgot they were out there and backed right into him. Grounded for life. Here's another thing. I know I'll never be anorexic. (laughs) I've defeated that disease. John White and I are not going down to anorexia, right? Some of you have done well too. Congratulate yourself. John the Baptist was successful because he knew his role. He didn't try to be who God had not created him to be. And his identity was powerful. And his influence was major because he was carrying out the mission God called him to do. So I wonder tonight, so let me ask you this question. If, if, You could hear out of the lips, out of the mouth of some other person just one compliment, just one compliment, as they testified about you. If if just one positive good thing could be said about you, what would you like it to be? Just think about that for a minute. Because what we're going to see is, is that the testimony that was given in relationship to John the Baptist is probably the most spectacular testimony in all of Scripture. He had a message, he had a vision, he had a, a, an identity which allowed him to walk with great faithfulness. And so here's what Jesus said to his disciples in relationship to John the Baptist. He's the greatest man who was ever born of woman. Now, as far as I can tell, being born of woman, I think that means he was the greatest man who's ever born, right? Anybody dispute that? I know we live in kind of a quacky world now. Jesus, who, who was the perfect man, said John the Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. 
So when you die, what do you want people to say? I've been thinking about this, you know. There will be a time when people walk past your casket. What do you want them to say? He was a great dad, a great mom. She was a wonderful person. She, whatever, you know. What, put, put your, I want them to say this. Oh my gosh, he's moving. <laughs> Seriously. What do you want people to remember you for? What do you want them to say about you? What about when you walk into heaven? Jesus, who will be there, said John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. When you walk into heaven, you want God to say, wow, he, she, they barely made it. (laughs) Here's what I want him to say about me. Here's, here's, Here's what's most important to me. I believe in this life. I want to be able to stand in front of God and hear these words. Well done. Well done. You were faithful to the end. Well done. You see, that's kind of what life is all about, isn't it? Is, is, is knowing who you are in Christ. Being a contagious believer. You know what I mean by contagious believer? That when you sneeze, people get Jesus. Because they see it. It's in your DNA. You know, we talk all the time. You know, how, how, how do we get more people to be here for Thrive? Well, here's how we get people to be here. You bring them. You invite them. You tell them. I mean, I've been to a lot of church services. This is as good as it gets. Chris Riddle, that dude can sing. He's not pretty, but he can sing. He can lead worship. This is good stuff. We need to be bringing people. There have been five people, Travis is number five, who've been saved in this service since it started. Every single one of us ought to be contagious in relationship to this service. So you're asking yourself tonight, how do I, how do I get to be a redneck like John the Baptist? Get alone with God. Listen to him. Start to speak the truth that he plants in your heart. Figure out who you are in him. And how you can be a minister to others. Maybe you'll only get one sermon like John the Baptist did. But make it a good one. And your testimony just might be similar to his. One day you might stand in front of the throne. And God will say, well, he was one of the greatest men. She was one of the greatest humans that ever lived. Well done. No better compliment. Would you pray with me? Father, it is, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult to admit, to acknowledge that we're not who we should be. 
And yet there have been many of us who walked in here tonight with burden, with guilt, with brokenness in our life, without a word from you, without hope from you, without a relationship perhaps even with you. Folks sitting here in every condition that a life can be found. And so speak truth to us right now. Just give us a, a, a clear word. Let your spirit interrupt our thoughts. We'll listen and we'll respond. Draw us close to you. Change us. Make us fit heaven, Father. Fill us with your peace. Connect our heart to your heart. Our spirit to your spirit. Pour out your grace on us and your forgiveness. As we come before you tonight, just as John the Baptist said to do in repentance, changing, turning into something brand new in you. Repentance. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand. And here's the good news. If God's speaking to your heart, there's a place for you to come and pray. If God has, has blessed you in a way that you want to celebrate what He's done in your life, giving you salvation, giving you hope, sharing communion, and just say, thank you, God. I know what you've done. I remember. But don't allow this song that we're going to sing, this, these moments to pass by and not connect with God, because that's why you've come here tonight, to have an experience with Him, to hear Him. So stand with me. Let's pray. Father, this moment is yours. Right here, right now. This is your moment. We'll be obedient. Amen. You know, as, uh, as Todd talks about that kind of idea of the finality of, you know, what are we going to hear when we stand face to face with God? I want that. I want that for me. I want that for you. And God is inviting us to, uh, to something so much greater than chasing things that generations and generations have told us will let us down. And so in this time, we're going to sing a song that's a song about offering and it says take my life and let it be everything all of me use me for your glory